Welcome to the Architecture Made Simple podcast, brought to you by Scrace Architects. In this series of podcasts, Tim and Andy explore different aspects of architecture, design and art. Hi there and welcome to the second episode of Architecture Made Simple. Tim's once again invited me down for a conversation about his architecture practice, the way that he works, and the bits and pieces from his brain that go into the way that he works. Hi, Tim. Hi. So you've invited me down today um, to talk about the in-between spaces or the spaces in between lots of different things. So um, let's start this way. Um, So often when we look at a building or a structure or a space, we look at the obvious physical things that are there. But I guess the bits that are in between those structures and those buildings and the other physical parts are just as important. I I think you've probably stolen some of my ideas there, yeah. (laughs) Um, No, so um, it's the the spaces in in between that we're, we're interested in talking about today. Um, and the reason that I think they're important is because um, they sort of tie all the buildings and all the spaces that we enjoy together. And so we spend as much time in them, if not more, um, than we do the buildings that we live in. Right. So let's start with the obvious. You have building A on the right hand side of a street and you have building B next door to it or structure B could be something else. Um, lots of cities and towns in this country have lots of those awkward spaces what can we do to utilize those spaces more with the the space you can create or or you can look to animate those spaces and you can look to animate those spaces by creating spaces in themselves so breaking up what is dead space in between so in order for space to function it needs to have almost have a use okay and in order for it to um have, have have a use it needs to be shaped so if we have what you described as um, building a and building b and we we have the space in between if you would put a chair in the middle of it then you would have a space for sitting in. okay so when you say shape a space we're talking about things like a social convention so if you put a chair in it every human's brain goes well that's somewhere to sit if you put a table and a chair in there well that's somewhere to sit and eat and that is that what you mean by shaping a space i think when you um when when human convention is um informed by familiarity so um we are looking at the space and we're saying okay well i associate with that action those those objects and that action so it's quite easy to do that with the with the chair and the table it's when you start adding other more kind of complex when you when you think about a shop frontage uh, adjacent to the chair and the table, it suddenly definitely becomes an eating space and maybe a restaurant. But if it was Vodafone or or otherwise, you know that, that then you know it it depends on the the type of shop that it's adjacent to. So let's let's look at give me an example of a more complicated way to shape a space. You're asking complicated questions about complicated spaces that don't exist. So, um, in terms of shaping, in, in terms of shaping uh, this this space, um, I think what we've got to do is is look at generally how it's built up. 
So if we're taking into consideration the street, then we're talking about a pavement, we're talking about double yellow lines, we're talking about a curb, we're talking about physical and visual um, elements within that street. So beyond the double yellow line, you've probably got a, a bike <laughs> bike path before you've got then a car path, before you've got a line, before you've got another car, before you've got the, the same on the other side. So, you know, you've got those those things just in the very simple nature of our our day-to-day scene. So we've already embellished that scene um, just by adding curbs and a pavement. Um, And when you add in people and you add in um, multifunctional uses and our day-to-day lives into that space, that space becomes completely animated. Okay, so we've talked about roads and cars being on them. So let's now talk about the absence of cars on roads. It's... Hot topic in this country at the moment is the pedestrianisation of city and town centres. Um, obviously, if you take cars away, you're often left with a vast space in between shops, restaurants, cafes, um, and other buildings within town centres or city centres. Um, if you pedestrianise something, obviously you're going to have to do something with that space. And from from your ideas, how would how do you think those spaces should be used better once you pedestrianise them? Because they can't just become a a, f- a foot highway, if you like. They need to, the space needs to be used. Otherwise, surely there's no point. No, I I, I think you think the nail on the head really is that um, if you put that same chair in the middle of a in in the middle of a piazza, it suddenly becomes a very lonely chair. Yes. <laughs> um, so I th- I think you've really got to look at um, how you would approach that chair and what you could do in the meantime or whether you needed a hundred chairs. So really everything's multiplied in terms of the scale and the number. So I think that in the same way that when we're in a house and we have a room and there's a chair and within that, that is, that is a managed space. When we get to a larger urban space, we've almost got to, you got, you got to pump it up by the same size. So you've got to have a thousand chairs in order to make it worthwhile and a, a worthwhile destination or a space that actually begins to make sense. And your arrangement of those chairs might then form around a stage or a platform or something that is actually happening in the city. So then you need the interaction of, of, of performance and you need live spaces and you need people and you need engagement through live music and through, um, through sheer entertainment. You also need weather, obviously, in this country, yeah. or a lot of umbrellas. Some cities in, in, um, and towns in the UK are starting to, to get their head around, but on the continent, especially in places like um, Spain and Italy, their, their, te- their whole towns and cities are, are, are centred on a, a main square or piazza. Um, what, what's the best, what's, for you, why do they work so well as spaces on the continent? Apart from the ice cream. I yeah. think I, I I think that um, what they've done on the continent is they have put a lot of time and money and thought into how they're going to structure their spaces in between. So um, their public realm is second to none. Um, they li- they live out on the streets more than than we do. We're, we're only fairly new to it, and that's because we've inherited it. And, and that doesn't necessarily work for us all the ta- all, all all the days yeah. of the year. Um, but on the continent, it's established. But if you went back to Rome 20 years ago, there would you you couldn't move for traffic. 
And uh, I, I was told a story by um, a lecturer of mine is that the, what the uh, the Roman authorities managed to do was um, they the, they occupied spaces that were once roundabouts and effectively in, inhospitable places to, to yeah. actually think of, of, of walking across. Um, and they hoarded them off with archaeological sites so that they reclaimed the city by stealth. Okay. So over time, people just got used to the hoardings and then eventually they got used to not driving through those spaces. And, you know, I'm hopeful that that will happen in this country and, and in other places post-COVID. Um, certainly having nicer weather in certain parts, the parts of the continent we're talking about here have, have nicer weather than we do here the majority of the year. And I think that probably helps. I think it's also that engagement with their space. Yeah. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll see on the continent families going out for walks in the evening and, and, and quite happily walking down the street to, you know, to, to and fro from places so that they, they, they're living in that environment. We don't necessarily do that. Okay, right. So let's, let's try a simpler approach, maybe. I, I hope for this, hopefully this will be um, more simple. So let's talk about the spaces between historic building and modern buildings and how an architect might marry those two juxtaposed types of buildings together. Well, that's an easy one to, to answer that one. No, I mean... It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems quite common to use yeah. glass structures to marry old and new together within architecture. Is, is that... I think you found a vocation. I think I think I, th- I think actually that's that and that's 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 I mean it's a good way of um, looking at um, that transition between the old and the new because um, the the glass reflects the old and yet pays sympathy to the fact that there's a building going next to it. So often people put in a glazed link because they don't know quite how to how to touch the old building without it affecting its appearance, and so glass gives you that opportunity to do that. I think that there are other ways in which you can do that, which we've talked briefly about before, which is sort of threshold details and the shaping of, um, of the connection. Um, and you can do that in lots of different ways, um, whether it's channeling out a particular a particular path into the, into the old building um, or whether it's sensitively pushing yourself away from it almost, the structure. How, how do you mean sensitively push? Pushing yourself away from it. Uh, well, I, by mean, I, it's, by that I mean it, it's by touching it lightly. So if if you take the structure of the new building away from the old, then in the same way that it pays it pays reverence your your new, new your new addition pays reverence to um, the past in in its glazed connection, it would do the same with its structure. So that there's a there's a gap in between almost. Okay, so it's a bit like walking through an air gap. Yeah. So you kind of got this neutral zone yeah. of a space yeah. in between the two structures. Look, I got the title of the podcast in a sentence. That's amazing. <laughs> All you've got to do is add shadow gaps and we're laughing. Um, oh, right, okay. What's a shadow gap? So a shadow gap is, is probably that, is that transition between the two. So it would be a channel that ran long, probably either through through the finish or the the opening or the frame that we are connecting with. Okay, so in on a similar vein, if you're connecting a, a domestic environment to an urban environment, do you use similar techniques or is, is there other tricks up an architect or designer's sleeve? So the transition from urban to domestic, I think, is, is really through 
um, you know, is, is back through the doorways again. Yeah. But um, I think that that connection is something that's quite tricky to marry because the scale is so massive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just, that's down to your interpretation of a front door. Right, okay. You know, I, th- I, th- I, think it's, I think it's quite hard to channel what is something we were talking about being sort of 100 times, 1,000 times the scale yeah. into something that is really just you and me walking through a door. Okay, you've simplified that. Far more than I thought you were going to. Maybe there's a different way of looking at it in that um, maybe the answer to your question is about that transition from the urban space to the domestic space in terms of in terms of the movement. And then yeah. in terms of the movement, then we create the space in between. Yeah. So the space in between is is now your route home, yeah. your, is your walk to work and, uh, and, and maybe your train journey or your commute. And so your space becomes more and more extent, extended and the space in between gets bigger. And so a lot in that space can happen. And so we can't necessarily manage that because there are too many variables to, to manage. Even yeah. you know, I, I even Google or Apple will struggle to manage all of those mm. variables. So um, I don't think it's about necessarily shaping those spaces as you go, but it's more about the acknowledgement of those spaces in between. And and the richness and the diversity that exists as you walk to 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 and fro. From so the place. so we've gone away from this, what might be perceived as a physical space to more of an existential space, where that's a space in your mind where you're decompressing from work on the way home, or you're kind of switching from domestic brain mode to work mode, and. It might just be a walk for some people down the end of the road to go to wherever they work. And for others, it may be an 80-mile train journey um, where they, or as soon as they step on the train, they're in work mode because they sit down with their laptop or their tablet and they start work there. And that's their, that's their immediate transition. But the, the distance from their, their front door to wherever they switch to work mode isn't necessarily one space, but existentially it's a space of transition. Yeah, and it's a series of spaces. Yeah. So it's a series of, probably it's more like a series of spaces, physical spaces, with a bit of existentialism along the way. So, I mean, I think when you, if you can imagine you walk to work, there's sometimes when you connect with what you're walking past or, you know, a wall that you touch or a dip in, you know, something that gives you a point of reference to where you're going. And that's part of that space. And that's that's something to be celebrated in an almost helps shape you know your vocabulary that is architecture and do you think from a from a mental health perspective that's really important i think it's incredibly important i think i think um it conditions your mind um the the commutes i've had i i recognize and i could go back you know i'd drive the same route and i would i would go into a frame of mind where i'd be comfortable driving that route but able to kind of relax and think differently um, in the same way that uh, uh, a family holiday home or something that's familiar to you um, becomes something comfortable. And so when we engage with the spaces in between properly and, and we connect with our environment by looking around and looking up and maybe shaping it in some way by you know moving moving a cone out the way, you're engaging with your environment, you're engaging with yeah. that space in between. Okay, so let's move away from the the existential and back to the physical um and let's talk about i want to go kind of back to to shaping a space and i want to talk a bit about texture and i want to talk about a bit about shape and color 
um, and how that you can use those things within a space to not just transition, but to make it feel different to a different space that's around it. Okay, so when we're looking at when we're looking at um, uh, a a larger space, I think that what we can do is look at um, different planes um, that we could use, maybe just to kind of shape or direct people. Mm-hmm. So, say, say, just as an example, if you if you go past a building hoarding, they, they can particularly have an impact on on this on the space as can a scaffold and those are those are almost temporary installations in themselves within the city because suddenly this environment that you know has changed um and so the city's always changing because these things are always there so they they are physical obstacles so it's almost like you can create an in creating an obstacle you create a new new space so as you do i was scrolling through the internet the other day in a bored moment um, and i came across this project in new york where they reclaimed part of the old railway. And they're doing a similar thing in, in Paris, where there's an old circular railway that used to go all the way around Paris. And they're reclaiming it and turning it into gardens. And then I also saw this thing where in a city in England, I can't remember where it was, I should probably should have written it down at the time, but they're starting to build parklets on the side of the road in mm-hmm. the spaces of parking spaces. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think that bringing green space back into our cities is really important? I think I think it's essential. I think I think we we we've acknowledged. Well, I th- I hope that people acknowledge that um, air quality's gone up during during lockdown, and um, part of that is because there are no cars in, in in and around the city. I've certainly noticed it where I live, and the the air pollution is now cranked straight back up again. Is there any way that we can take that further? I th- I think we should fill empty shops with trees. I th- I th- real I th- trees yeah why not but there's, there's it would solve solve two problems and uh i think actually we'd probably make more use of the city i think in introducing nature to the city um would make us recognize that cities weren't cities in the first place and that maybe what we did all those hundreds of years ago was probably the wrong thing and the way in which we've continued to manufacture space and the environment um, was probably wrong as well, and you know, part, as as we've already discussed, um, you know, part of me doesn't want to build anymore. So I think that contemplative point is probably a good way to end this podcast. So let's have a little think forward to what we're going to talk about on the next episode of this podcast series, and that's recalibration. Okay, so um, by recalibration, I think I think what we're talking about is what we were talking about a minute ago, which is, is, is some new thinking and it's about, um, repositioning ourselves in, in, in our environments and thinking also about how I, you know, I or other people might approach that in architectural practice. As an addendum to the end of this podcast, we're back and we're talking remotely, um, about the competition winners from frame of view that we, um, launched last time we did a podcast. So Tim, we've had, a good number of entries and some winners have been picked. That's right. We've had um, a great lot of interest in uh, the Frame of View competition and it's been really quite exciting and rewarding to get all the positive feedback um, post-lockdown, I guess. Yeah, so should we go through, should we start with the children's competition and go with that first? Yeah, 
Well, um, the lucky winner is Solomon, who was looking out of his house and managed to see a house made of balloons or at least attached to balloons Lovely. and i think i think part of that is this idea of moving so i don't know whether he's trying to say something to his parents but um it was very sort of positive kind of picture so we thought it was really fantastic and well done solomon he wins um 25 pounds worth of vouchers to spend at the rocket ship book club and the winner in the older age category was? Uh, Phoebe. And Phoebe took a lovely um, photo um, looking out over a sunset and titled it Sunset Flower. And it really sort of captured that sort of early evening kind of aura. And 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 as with many of the, the pictures, managed to sort of frame, frame the view with the flower, which yeah. I thought was clever. Some nice depth in that one. Yeah. So let's move on to the the grown ups. The grown ups, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's there's five people who deserve some recognition here, isn't there? Definitely, and and I th- I think also um, as as we've shown over the past week, um, there there have been really really good entries to to the competition. So much so that we're hoping to um, exhibit um, sometime sometime over the next few months, and. Um, have shortlisted quite a few entries with uh, notable notable entries from uh, Mr. Andy Munns, amongst other people. Well, what a legend he is. Yeah, well, I've heard he's all right. <laughs> um, but um, in, in terms of the, the, the real winners, uh, the real winners who um, have, have, have sort of excelled in sort of trying to capture um, this kind of idea of, of new horizons, of being trapped inside and um, the uncertainty, I suppose, and the the, the sort of creativity of lockdown yeah. um, are, 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 um, are, are pretty special. So we'll start, start with um, the winner of the, uh, the, the bottle of Explorer Gin from um, the Downton Distillery. And the winner of that is Claire Burden, who came up with the fantastic image of Corona Cat. <laughs> Hashtag Corona Cat. Hashtag Corona Cat. And you can't you can't escape uh, the uh, the kind of the familiarity of of, of looking out on um, of, of 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 a window and of you know your local pet. We've got we've got we've got. Um, a lovely cat who pops around our house, and I think probably lockdown wouldn't be the same without him. For those of you listening, we are going to put these images on the same page on the Grace Architects website, so you can see the images along with while listening to the podcast. What I really like, this photo is in black and white, which always makes things a little bit more stark, but also the bars on the balcony add to that kind of locked-in jail feel that we all uh, had true. during coronavirus. That's true. When I mean, when we picked this, we were, we, you know, we're we're not educated, but uh, we like to. I th- I think we we sort of laid everything out. Um, you know, all of all of the entries and worked through them quite um quite thoroughly. Um, but these these five definitely stood out, and um, I guess that might have been one of the reasons we felt we might have felt trapped in. Yeah. So um, it's that, kind of a uh, kind of a uh, an under message undertone message. Yeah. That the bars give, I think. And 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 similarly, uh, the 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 runner-up in fourth fourth place was Elizabeth Harmon, um, and her glowing image 
um, of the sunset has this kind of brooding kind of nature to it, which kind of is, is sort of got a little bit of menace. It um, does. It's and, kind of and, and a, warmth. It's a little bit like um, something you'd see in an old Western movie. Yeah, that's true. Timeless. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think the blue that's over to the left hand side of the image is almost a light at the end of the tunnel with all the yeah. dark that's around it. It's, yeah. And the silhouettes of the of the trees and the houses in the foreground is as well as the window frame is quite powerful. Yeah. And again, nice to have a window in nice to have a window frame. We had lots of images of just people just kind of trying to capture the moment. Yeah. But the the frame really just does kind of define that view. And Indeed. and almost the scale of things. Um, okay, so but, third what does Elizabeth win reminds me? Oh yeah, that's right. She wins what does she win? Oh, she! Oh no, she, <laughs> she! I was I was lost for a moment, but she's lucky one uh, who wins a day pass in Chesington World of Adventure. Oh, so um, that's all about sort of the roller coaster of lockdown. So um, hopefully she'll get to. Well, enjoy let's hope that. Elizabeth likes being thrown upside down. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Okay. And um, next on, one. on the subject of theme parks, I think this this one really kind of shone out as 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 one of the strong images of photos um, uh, of submissions that we received, and that um, that was always take the scenic route by um, Sasha May, and it, this kind of um, captures the moment where in in the rear view mirror um, of of someone feeding an animal, I'm guessing I'm guessing a, um, a wildlife park. And um, it it does just kind of has has that element of fun that we're all probably missing a little bit. Now, what do we think the deer is eating? I'm going for Toblerone. Toblerone. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't give Toblerone away, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no chance. There's no chance. That's Toblerone. No, uh, no. But uh, I've, I I can't quite figure it out. So um, yeah, but it's we'll, a lovely image, beautifully framed. It's a beautifully framed image. It's almost like you've stayed. You know, they've staged the deer. So um, yeah. Fair play. It's well, a, maybe it's it is. A, maybe it's a Jim Henson puppet deer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, they, they've got um, a lovely, lovely lunch um, at Messam's um, as as their as their winner, winning kind of um, lovely. Um, a nice arty meal out. Yeah, nice arty meal out. So um, hopefully, hopefully they can enjoy that. I'm not sure they have um, deer rove, roving around the place, but I'm sure that there'll be a splash of culture and some and some great food. Yes, I'm sure. Right, and our number two runner-up. Uh, number two runner-up is Kate Perry, um, who has captured this amazing um, view out um, across the moors and. She she has has painted this lovely lovely view um, with more to see. So for and those who aren't who are only listening at the moment and can't see, the the first three are all photographs, and this is our first painting. That's true. And it's a really it's kind of got two frames in the picture, and I know that it's a, it's a deep inset window, but it kind of looks like it's got multiple frames, which is lovely. Yeah, and I, I think that sort of leads your eye in, doesn't it? It does. It draws you to the middle. Yeah, and and there's a love, lovely sort of ornamental orchid in the in the foreground. So you know, it's it's been done to a very good standard, and um, yeah, just really captures the moment. And teasing us with freedom, with a couple of birds flying high in the sky. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'd, yeah, no, well spotted. Um, and then finally, 
um, our winner. Yes, our I really winner. like this one. Um, yeah. Mainly because it represents lots of what's been in my lockdown. <laughs> so a yeah. computer and a window and a hose pipe trying to keep the grass green. Yeah. <laughs> Which and, is very and, much like what my lockdown was like. What I love about it is this this positive message as well. So, you know, it's even entitled Positive Thinking. Um, but it is this kind of, it almost has different grades of, of seasons through the view. Um, we're, we're in effect in our own studio looking out um, with our, our Zoom caller in the foreground looking out towards our garden. Yeah. And um, in the background are, are, are all our neighbours and 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 the horizon beyond. So, um, with one or two magpies, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm not going to sort of dig into the symbolism there, um, but I'm I'm counting three. So um, I'm guessing that's uh, three for a girl, isn't it? I'm I don't know. I don't. But what for me, the way that the painting's done, it's it's got a little bit of a Mackenzie Thorpe feel about it. The way that yeah. the trees are coloured. Um, and I'm quite a big fan of Mackenzie Thorpe anyway. Yeah. Um, but kind of the it, the way that he paints and the way this has been done, it's almost like 2D objects laid on top of each other. And I really like that. It's, it gives some nice depth to what is essentially a flat painting. Yeah. and Or drawing, because um, this is a drawing, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, there's a drawing. And, um, you know, I, I didn't realise it, but at the time, it, um, Michelle... Um, who who who's won the competition? Michelle Williams. Um, she she taken a, a snapshot of our a Zoom call that our our um, the team from Scracey Architects had 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 on Zoom and and encapsulated it in the in the monitor, and you know that that just adds an extra little bit. So that um, plays that me. that plays nicely to you that you're in you're in the winning picture. Yeah, I didn't even realise. That's that. That's how. That's no. how um, attentive I am to these these matters. But it is a fantastic image and uh, um, a sort of great portrayal of of what we've all experienced. So, what does Michelle win? So, um, I mean, Mich- Michelle wins. Um, she 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 wins a fantastic um, night away um, at Finch Cottage, which is an amazing um, refurbished barn out towards. Um, Stonehenge. I've had I've had a wee peek and it does look beautiful. It's an amazing an amazing spot and uh, and uh, um, we've been very lucky that um, Karen and Eddie Dayton have have um, helped us out with this one and I think I think it will be um, a really nice place um, to escape sort of the monotony of 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 day to day life. I'm not I'm not sure quite what Michelle does, but I'm I'm sure it will be a real release to kind of get out there and and get get into the countryside. Lovely. So congratulations to all of those who've who've won and also to those um people like me who've made the shortlist. Um all will be available via Scrace Architects website. So give it a search, give it a look it up. Um and if you're listening via the Scrace Architects website, you just need to click on the link to the new blog post about the competition winners. Thank you very much, everyone. Great. So join us again for the next episode of Architecture Made Simple. Thank you.